Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 79 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we are talking about backpacking meals. And while we've discussed backcountry eating in terms of planning and low waste efforts on the trail, what I really want to know is what actually goes into the manufacturing of pre-made backpacking meals. And as someone who has only recently started to try backpacking meals, or the pre-made ones that is, I had a lot of questions about where the food is sourced, the packaging materials, and the general carbon footprint of these convenient backcountry options. There seems to be so many backpacking food companies out there on the market today that it can be kind of hard to know not only what will actually taste good, but which companies are going to be considering their overall environmental impact while they're crafting these meals. So for me, the best place to start was to sit down with the CEO, Dwayne Primozic, and one of the founders, Soraya Smith, of Backpackers Pantry, a pioneer company in the world of backpacking food. With more than 20 years of natural food experience, Dwayne joined the Backpackers Pantry team in the fall of 2022 as CEO, prior to joining American Outdoor Products, the parent company of Backpackers Pantry. Dwayne had a decades-long career founding, building, advising, and sitting on the boards of more than 20 natural food companies. He's been involved with Silk Soy Milk, Epic Provisions, Hope Foods, Rebel, High Brew Coffee, Bonafide Provisions, Bobo's Oat Bars, and several others, while also having co-founded Pixie Mate, a boulder-based yerba mate tea brand, and two natural food-focused investment funds. Duane is committed to furthering Backpackers Pantry's commitment to sustainability, the environment, preservation of wilderness, and sustainable food industry practices. With over a decade of product and recipe development for Backpackers Pantry, Soraya Smith is a passionate advocate for the outdoors and food. Luckily, she gets to marry these two interests in her work. Soraya is president of the company's board of directors, she is licensed through the Colorado Bar Association, and is an accredited culinary professional. Her expertise in food innovation and passion for our planet's sustainability are guiding her work in addressing sustainable supply chain, food insecurity, and outdoor access as personal goals. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother-daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax and hemp, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code OUTDOORMINIMALIST for 15% off your next order. Well, welcome to the Outdoor Minimalist podcast. I am stoked that you both had time to come on here and I'm excited to just hear about more information about Backpackers Pantry and learn about the growth and changes that are kind of been happening in the last few years. But before we get to all of that, I'm going to ask you both the question that I ask pretty much all of my guests, which is how you got involved in the outdoor industry and also how outdoor recreation fits into your life. Soraya? 
Wow. I have been in the outdoor industry for well over a decade now, doing the work that I do with Backpackers Pantry, which is recipe development. The company is in the Smith family. I'm Soraya Smith, one of the family members who owns Backpackers Pantry. And at some point, the conversation was, hey, do you want to be our recipe development chef? And it was like, of course, why not? And so that's how I got involved with this company specifically. The outdoor industry and I go way back. My, and this is tangential, but my dad had a print shop. We did a lot of printing for the outdoor industry, like some of the local big boys in the, in the industry. And it's just been part of my life for a very, very long time. So that's kind of the backstory. And how does it play into my life? Like I am a Colorado girl, born and bred, never lived anywhere else, but right here my entire life. I have been a whitewater kayaker, a rafter, a hiker, a backpacker, car camping with my family, all of the above, and just totally love where we live and love being in the outdoors. And I'm so thrilled that I get to participate in the outdoors also through my work. Uh, for me, I'll start with the outdoor. So I grew up about seven miles outside of a town of 4,000 people. And my entire, literally, you step out my door and you're in a vast expanse of wild places. And so from the age of six, effectively, I have just always been drawn to it. It's my brother and I would stomp around out in that high desert. And then we ended up in the Pacific Northwest and just did the same thing. So a lot of my life has been spent in pursuit of the outdoors. And I've spent my entire professional life in the natural foods world. So as far as the actual explicit entry into the outdoor industry, that has only happened as of August of last year when I started working with Soraya and Backpackers Pantry. That's awesome. It's always fun to kind of hear people's backgrounds because everyone kind of has a different reason that they got involved. A lot of people have since early childhood. And before I get to the first question about like exactly what Backpackers Pantry is and like when it was founded, I am curious about Dwayne, your transition to Backpackers Pantry and exactly how that happened. Whew, well, that is quite a long story. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Megan, but the Backpackers Pantry family suffered a great loss in January of 2020 uh, with the loss of the second generation president owner, Rodney, Soraya's husband. They live across the street from me. Soraya and Rod and the boys did. And when Rodney passed away, I went across the street and I sat with Soraya and the boys in their living room. And I told them I would do anything that I could for them, either personally or professionally. When Rodney passed, the first generation ownership was not in a position to come back in and run the company. And the third generation owners were not in a position to come and run the company. So that obligation, that duty, that privilege fell to Soraya. And so the, the way I could help her was just to, you know, be a sounding board. We'd take walks around the neighborhood. I would help her in any way I could. Until uh, last winter, spring of 22, Soraya called me and said, hey, I think it's time for us to find somebody to run this company. So I sat down with her and the first generation, Ron, Soraya's father-in-law, and her boys, Tal and Aiden. And we literally put pen to paper and started to write down the attributes of the person who would be best suited to run this company that had always been run by a Smith family member. It's a, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy lift for anybody. And of course, the first thing, uh, the first attribute on the list was somebody that you can trust like family. And that was, of course, followed by somebody who knew how to run businesses, uh, had experience in food manufacturing, 
had a general business acumen, uh, had an orientation to outdoors, shared the family's values, and on and on, and that we met a couple times to that end, and uh, ultimately, you know, came to the conclusion that that was going to be an impossible role to fill or recruit for, and we decided that I'd do it. So I told the family I would I would do it for at least ten years. This is how I will sort of finish my career, and I'm just so grateful that that the universe conspired to bring me here because it's been so rewarding. Yeah, it does feel a little bit, I guess, I don't know what you subscribe to in your beliefs, but it does feel a little bit like fate brought you guys together, that you live so close together and you're able to have that support system during that phase of your life. So awesome. I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad that you were there and that it did seem like a good fit. Did you want to add anything, Soraya? Well, you know, none of us could see what was going to happen in January of 2020 coming down the pike. The beautiful thing is, is Dwayne had been in and out of our building several times. He and Rodney were friends. Dwayne was aware of what we do. We knew we were following his career. And then when everything happened and I took over the role as president of American Outdoor Products, our parent company, I needed somebody I could talk to. I needed somebody that I could ask questions to and who would understand what I was going through. And, you know, that's just not going to be anybody. I have a lot of friends, but this was Friends Plus. And this was really important that I found the person that I could trust and talk to about who answers these kinds of questions, who makes these decisions. And so fate brought us together. Here we are. and It's been amazing. Awesome. Yes, here you are. So I guess, Soraya, if you wanted to maybe expand a little bit on what Backpackers Pantry is, kind of the mission, and then when it was founded. Well, I would say Backpackers Pantry is a legacy brand in the outdoor industry. We have been around since 1951, and the company has been in the Smith family since 1971. It was originally started by a woman in California who wanted to provide dry, light food for the Girl Scouts who were packing their backpacks with cans of beans or cans of tuna, perishable items. And so she started a company that was providing dry, light food. And in 1971, my father-in-law, Ron Smith, bought that company from her and turned it into Backpackers Pantry. So We have been around a very long time. Since that time, though, we have really obviously expanded our offerings, but we're we're freeze-dried backpacking food. We are giving the hiker, the adventurer, that culinary experience with food in the backcountry. Yeah, I will say I'm not one that personally uses a lot of backpacking meals, but when I think of backpacking meals, my first thought is always backpackers pantry because it's, I see it everywhere. A lot of people use it and enjoy it. Um, So I'm sure a lot of listeners already do. (laughs) what you guys were. And I didn't know that backstory about the Girl Scouts. That's really interesting. Yeah. As one of, I guess, the pioneers of backpacking food, kind of how has that progression been going in the last 70 plus years, like within the backpacking food market? How have things kind of like changed and how has Backpackers Pantry kind of set, I guess, like a precedent of where to start? Well, just to be clear, I wasn't around in 1951. (laughs) But (laughs) I assume that the food was dehydrated at that point, or the ingredients were dehydrated. Since then, the industry has come a long way. So for the most part, we use freeze-dried ingredients. Freeze-drying is a process that was really born of the space program. It was to provide the astronauts with basically fresh food that was light. And so in the freeze-drying process, the water is taken out of the ingredients. You're left with the nutrients, the color, the appearance, the flavor. You add back in water through the cooking process and it jumps right back to life. So 
the progression has been quite remarkable since freeze drying came along. And really the ingredients that are available for us to shop from and to use in our recipe development are incredibly vast right now. And it's constantly growing. So it's fun to be part of this relatively new process that's, you know, taking off and becoming part of our everyday lives. And, you know, it's, it's changed what we do remarkably. Yeah. I would say, I would say, as you look at the, the culinary experience of, of backpacking meals back in 1951 or 1971 or 1981 or even 1991, it was, you know, more reflective of how folks were eating at that time. Now it's really the quality of the food has gotten really good. Uh, and now it's more reflective of uh, more contemporary food trends, right? We've got pad thai with chicken and uh, chana masala. And, you know, we serve a, a wide range of dietary needs from vegan to vegetarian, gluten-free. So that is a, a, a just a, a part of the culinary evolution. And when you think about the evolution of this business, you asked earlier about mission. The mission today is really to serve uh, our people, the planet, and our consumers. We don't have any investors in this business. It's 100% family owned. So there's no, we don't answer to anybody but those three constituents, our people, our consumers, and the planet. And our, because of that financial independence, we're able to really focus on that planet piece, on the impact piece. We give uh, you know, over 1% of all of our sales to the planet. So part of the evolution of the business side of this is a really explicit, tangible focus on how we discharge our duty to the planet and to the people here. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind kind of expanding on kind of the sustainable practices that you have kind of in all areas of the business, because I know that it kind of, it expands through everything you do, like you were saying. Yeah, well, I'll start and then I'd love uh, Soraya to, to weigh sure. in on the sourcing and, and the sourcing side. So there's a there's a handful of, of things that are clear, tangible manifestations of, of that commitment that we have and that core value that we have. Probably the most tangible, although you can't see it, but right above us right now are 391 solar panels. Our entire facility, all of our manufacturing, everything is 100% solar powered. And in fact, our, you know, we, we produce more energy than we actually consume. That's a big investment. There are a few folks that are as committed to this piece of, of values that are able to bite that off, but because it is so core to who we are, it was not a difficult decision. The other manifestation of that is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've got uh, four pillars of stewardship where we are trying to discharge our, our obligation. The first is public land conservation. The second is freshwater conservation. The third is food security. And the fourth is outdoor access and education. So we go through a pretty rigorous process every year deciding where we're going to deploy at least 1% of all of our sales, which is important. You know, that's not 1% of profit. That is literally 1% of sales that goes to these organizations that are better suited to actually put boots on the ground and make a real impact. And the screen for us is an outcome-based screen. Who is going to have the most impact in one of those four verticals? And that's where we're deploying our resources to that end. The biggest challenge, I would say, before we get into the sourcing side, is the packaging. Right now, that packaging is, you know, very little recycled material in there, and you can't very easily recycle it. So as you think about, I was telling Soraya the other day, I keep a notebook next to my desk here, the title of which is Moonshots. And there are a handful of things that are super important to this business over the long run. And just as an aside, we're making decisions here on a generational timeline. 
we're not making you know decisions like a usual business that is that is making decisions on a quarterly or or annual timeline. We have a much longer horizon of time which to contemplate what it is we're going to do. Packaging is on that list of moonshots. How do we make this thing either compostable or burnable or in some other way better for the planet? How do we make that package reflect our values? And then on the sourcing side, you want to speak to that, Soraya? Sure. You know, I have to say that climate change has affected the sourcing side of the equation because we are using real ingredients provided by real farmers and we need pretty big quantities of these ingredients over the course of a year. And with drought and flood and heat and cold and storms, you know, it's not a guarantee anymore. And so for us, it's something that we are working with our ingredient vendors on. We have very strict sourcing guidelines, um, what we will accept into the building from what we want to put into our body's perspective. But also, you know, we want to understand where is this food coming from? We try and get as many of these ingredients domestically, so out of the United States as possible. One, to lower our carbon footprint, but also because, you know, we trust the sources when we get them domestically. That being said, some things really are from where they're from. For example, Aleppo pepper is really from Aleppo. And so when there is a war or there's a geopolitical concern, you know, sometimes some ingredients won't be available. So it's just interesting to be doing this really fun thing that we get to do, which is providing really great culinary, a great culinary experience. And yet things around the globe are affecting how we do the work that we do. Uh, one just one more example of how we think about this business and our duty and our stewardship here uh, in more of a systemic way. When we think about freshwater conservation as one of our four pillars of impact, one of the best ways to protect fresh water right now is through this emerging idea of regenerative agriculture. If we can figure out a way to incorporate some regenerative ag practices into our sourcing practice, we can have an impact on one of our four pillars. So we get, because of our financial independence, we get to think about these things in a very different way and, and act on them in, in, in real meaningful ways. Yeah, that is a really unique perspective. And since you were kind of talking about more of that systemic implementation of things, and you mentioned packaging earlier, I think a lot of times to consumers, we're only really thinking about the things that are tangible to us. So we get the food and we eat the food and then we dispose of the packaging. So like the packaging is the initial impact that we see. But would you guys be able to give a big picture overview of the impact of actually producing the meals? And I don't know how I guess you would want to do that. So I'll leave that to you. Well, the one of the, the first and most important things we did for carbon footprint reduction was to install 391 solar panels on the roof. That is a huge step. When you think about the inputs to a calculation of carbon footprint, our being able to check that box takes a big chunk of that total carbon footprint pie off the table. All right, good. Now, what do we focus on next? What are the next big movers? Soraya, before I got here, had done a carbon footprint analysis. And one of the things that that illuminated was how big a carbon footprint beef has. So that is what precipitated this conversation around, all right, what's a solution to that problem? And we just sort of start asking the questions. What's the next biggest opportunity for us to pursue so that we eventually that carbon footprint high is addressed and we just start taking in the, in the biggest chunks that we can. And some of these are going to take time, right? Some of these we have to push for technological advances. Uh, some of these we have to push for supply chain advances, et cetera. 
the most important thing and the thing that we can control is our commitment to getting after it. And I think, um, as I've said, there's a, there's a couple of uh, real tangible examples of how we're doing that. Yeah, I guess, would you have any examples of some of the things that you're working on improving as you move forward? We do, but because, I mean, one of the uh, strategic advantages we have is our ability to actually focus on these things and invest in these things. So how about we take the, how about we answer that question when it's in the market and everybody knows about it? Perfect. That sounds great. I'll have something to look forward to. <laughs> okay. So I guess what you were kind of describing, like how you go through the process of like deciding what to work on next in order to lower your carbon footprint. So is there one specific area of production that you say has a larger impact than another? Uh, not on the production side, because we've checked that box, right? With the um, with going 100% solar powered. And that I want to be clear, we're not just buying solar credits. This thing's powered by those photovoltaic panels up on, on the roof. So going back to your earlier context around systemic, one of the things we're super focused on are the people in this building and how we're creating a fulfilling environment for those. When I, the example I use is when I want people when they're walking up to this front door to be walking up to this front door with a smile because they can't wait to get into this building. Like I every morning I roll out of bed and jump onto my feet because I can't wait to get here. So part of the system of being able to continue to focus on these impact pieces is making sure we have a house full of fulfilled gratified, happy people in this place, because this is this is long haul type of work. You got to have people in the building that are really committed to this. And part of being able to do that is being a place where we get where It's such an attractive place to work that we get to select people based on values as we aggregate and create more critical mass of those specific values within the company. We have just that many more people who are raising their hand and saying, hey, we got to do this. We got this is this quarter. I am going to take this step to that end that might not see realization for five or 10 years down the road. But this quarter, I'm going to do a little something on it. And the next quarter, I'm going to do a little something on it. So we've got these lofty ambitions. Uh, but at the end of the day, for everything we do, it really requires a heartful values aligned group of people inside these four walls. So it, it, it's not intuitive that, that that would be so important to us. But it, as you think about building the foundation to be able to, to do the things we want to do and have the impact we want to do, it's a super important piece. Yeah, I would say that maybe it's not necessarily discussed enough, but it is a theme that I have noticed throughout interviews with different companies on the show is that there is more of a focus on that holistic view of sustainability in the company. So not just looking at the environmental sustainability, but just general like workplace sustainability and Everything, everything should be it sustainable matters. matters. Soraya, you were going to add on to that. Well, I was going to add on to that. So in 2020, when people couldn't hop on a plane and go take that vacation that they used to take in before times, everybody was headed to the outdoors. And the entire outdoor industry saw a huge boon in people wanting to go find that wild open space. We have the privilege of being part of this industry, getting people into the outdoors. We consider our food to be another piece of this tech, important technical gear that you need to take with you on your adventure. But we all need to do it responsibly. The money that we give back philanthropically through our 1% for the Planet program really does make an impact on water. It makes an impact on food. And ultimately, we are a food company in the outdoor industry. It makes an impact on getting people to believe that they have a place in the outdoors. 
and that they are stewards of our amazing wild open places. So really the, the work that we do internally ripples out to the rest of the world through our give back program. And so while we can talk about packaging, there will always be an expectation, I believe, from our consumer that the food tastes fresh. And so we don't want to minimize our packaging to the point where we compromise our food, which needs to perform in the backcountry. But we can talk about how we can be responsible stewards of the outdoors and of our local food systems and give more people access and keep that access available. And that's through this other side of the work that we do. So, you know, I just, I really feel like it's easy to talk about packaging, but if you go to the grocery store, so much of our food is packaged, unfortunately, and there's a whole other story out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's why I think it is really important to look at the entire like brand impact and not just latch onto one piece because more likely than not, the people behind the scenes are working on improving those things, but there is a lot to consider and you don't want to compromise the quality like you were saying. Right. You already spoke a little bit on sourcing the ingredients, but I guess how do you, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. How do you decide, like when you're constructing the meals, like, is there kind of like a general checklist of like, you look for these specific things in sourcing that food versus just kind of going right to the cheapest and the fastest option? There is no cheapest and fastest in what we do. (laughs) So there's a whole ecosystem around how we approach product. Once we have settled on some ideas of what direction we'd like to head, then it falls into sourcing. So I, I basically do my research on recipes. I will start to understand what it's going to take with our ingredients that potentially we have in house, and then what ingredients we need to find outside. And then we start working with our vendors. We do have an internal checklist of what kind of products we won't bring into our facility. So, you know, we don't want any treated products. So there's just various kill steps out there for ingredients that we're not going to accept in. So we, we source very cleanly. We source with integrity. I really source with an eye towards a particular recipe. That being said, I also want to make sure that ingredients are not just single use ingredients and that maybe we can use them over the course of several different recipes. But it really is, I mean, it's a, it's a painstaking process and it's very detailed. Yeah. And I would assume that it kind of changes and evolves over time. Cause like you said, some ingredients will go out due to other like conditions around the world. And so do you like reassess and revamp recipes fairly often? Yes. I mean, we don't want to make too many changes unless it's consumer driven or recipe driven, like ingredient driven. For example, we can't get that ingredient again, and it's crucial for a certain recipe, then we have to reevaluate. Also, if the consumer is demanding certain changes, you know, we try and be cognizant of that. But really, once a recipe is out there, it's it's out there, it takes on a life of its own. We do want to optimize as much as possible. We try and do that before it leaves our building. Yeah. With that, that said, we do pull product off of every single run that we do every single day. We have a test kitchen where our quality assurance team is in there literally pulling product from the line every single day making it we all filter through the kitchen the test kitchen and taste it and make sure that it is uh, of a quality that we can be proud of and sometimes that does illuminate opportunities for optimization but i will say the recipes this develops don't require optimization too often she does a great job there 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I always kind of wondered what kind of that testing process and was and like how you maintain that consistency. And one thing that Dwayne, you brought up earlier was that Soraya, you noticed that beef had a large impact. So I'm curious how you addressed that because you said that was something that was important. Dwayne, do you want to take this? Well, I would say are addressing that. So this goes yeah. into that uh, as oh, you think about. Okay. So when we look at that whole carbon footprint pie, the biggest opportunity was to solve for energy use. So boom, we we did yeah. that. The one of the next big opportunities is how we re to reduce our carbon footprint is to address the carbon footprint associated with beef. For us, the biggest opportunity is in regenerative ag. That is becoming a more practical option for food companies. I would use the present tense, not the past tense. It's very much in the, all right, what do we have to do to make this a reality stage? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I just, I wasn't clear on if it had like been addressed in the past or you're like currently working on it, but thanks yes for saying yes. that. <laughs> All of the above. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, I really appreciate both of your guys's like insights and expertise in this area, especially from a company that has been so long-standing and influential in the outdoor industry. And so, I guess to kind of like close things out, I'm curious what you guys think individuals as well as companies within the industry can do to apply some of the lessons that you guys have learned over the last few years to just make it a better place. Hmm. Right. You know, I have to give a lot of credit where credit is due. The 1% for the planet program is quite remarkable and mm -hmm. it's a great start. And as Dwayne said earlier, it's 1% of every single sale. It's not 1% of profit. We get the opportunity internally to decide where that 1% of our sales goes. And Dwayne talked about the four pillars. I feel like for other outdoor industry companies, this was a this was their first opportunity to get into philanthropy and to kind of identify where they want to make impacts. And so, you know, I think that has been had a, an amazing rippling effect. I know at our company, 1% is only the beginning. We do a lot of other outside, we volunteer of our time. We provide a lot of food in kind. It's not just money. And so I think across the industry, it's a fairly enlightened industry. And we know that we get to work in this, you know, beautiful way that we impact people's lives. And I think they take, you know, other companies take that responsibility very seriously also. Yeah, I would answer it in two ways. First, in from a, a business perspective, you have to put a stake in the ground. We have this privilege of financial independence. We don't have any investors, creditors, people to whom we need to answer. Our single largest constituent is the planet. And you know, right there next to it is the, are the people that inhabit it. That's who we work for. And it's easier for us because we have the ability to, to put that stake in the ground and say, that is why we exist. Now, if, if you don't have that circumstance and you have investors or, or whomever, it's a little harder to put that stake in the ground because you've got you know, sort of other hands in the cookie jar, but you must do it. If you don't require it of yourselves and the people around you, it just won't happen. It has to be an explicit core value of your business in order for it to manifest in, in a meaningful way. The second is going back to the earlier part of our conversation around people. You have got to create a critical mass of people with shared values so that you have the support of other people reminding you and holding you accountable to that core value. We're, we're very intentional about that here as well. And I think that is absolutely a, a lesson that could be, uh, could be learned and carried by others. 
Absolutely. It all goes all goes back to values and community in a lot of aspects. And I think that's really important. So how can listeners learn more about Backpackers Pantry and shop for your guys' meals? Well, backpackerspantry.com. On the learning side, we are pretty regular in posting, not just about ourselves, but about uh, outdoor stuff. Like the last two posts were a two-part series on through hiking and how to prepare oneself for a through hiking experience. And when I say through hiking, I'm talking about the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail or the Continental Divide Trail, big through hikes where you're out there for you know months at a time. Really cool two-part series. There are aspects of it that have to do with food, but the lion's share of that content and a whole bunch of the content that you can find at backpackerspantry.com in our blog section is just around outdoor topics, which I find fascinating. I, I read them every single time. And of course you can shop there. Awesome. Thank you. Do you have anything to add, Soraya? No, we are. Well, except that we are in the outdoor big box stores, in addition to most of the brick and mortar local stores in your neighborhood that are outdoor focused. Yeah. And I'll be sure to share in the episode notes, some of the resources that you mentioned, Dwayne, and then also a couple of places that people might be able to buy and learn more about the meals. But with that, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat. And I hope everyone found it just as educational as I did. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.